This is Oil & Water Relay. I'm Joe LaVisca. And I'm Rachel Dunkeld. Oil & Water Relay is a conversational space where we sift through recent news about Keystone XL and related oil and gas projects from around the U.S. and the world. This is our chance for us to share our emerging insights and pass the conversation on to you, our listeners. Each episode, Joe and I will talk through a handful of recent news stories, summarizing the basic points of the story and offering our interpretations. So we're recording this on November 3rd, 2020, Election Day here in the United States. I hope you all have voted. And to find each Oil & Water Relay episode, go to our website at oilandwaterpod.com and click on the episodes link, or you can follow the links in our social media posts. We'll also post written stories from our reporting on our blog, so check back often. Yeah, over here on the Oil & Water Relay team, we do hope that you voted, and yeah... I guess an important reminder that good work is still being done and that despite whatever may happen or come to pass, we are all just doing the best we can to support collective movements towards change. You know, thinking about voting makes me think about how the mission of this podcast is to critically think about our relationship with fossil fuels. It's not to kill the fossil fuel industry. We recognize that we need to be able to have a voice and we need to be able to shape our future with our use of fossil fuels. And so that's really what we're up to here at Oil & Water Relay. We have in some of our literature claimed to be acting towards decolonization. There's a lot of ways of looking at it, but transforming the system doesn't mean we're creating a world without oil, without fossil fuels, just one that utilizes fossil fuels in a different way. Yeah, in a just and equitable way for humans and and non-humans alike. Okay, should we get started? Yeah, let's get started. So first, we're going to talk about an article that I found. And actually, this article is a lawsuit. It was filed by the Montana chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union against two state agencies here in Montana. First, the Montana Disaster and Emergency Services, or MTDES, and then the Montana Division of Criminal Investigation, or MTDCI. So the lawsuit, which was filed in February of 2020, charges that these two agencies have been illegally withholding documents that the ACLU has been requesting since early in 2018. The documents in question all have to do with how the state is preparing law enforcement officers and agencies for encounters with protesters should the Keystone XL pipeline construction become active again here in Montana. ACLU charges that these state agencies are illegally covering up their plans by withholding what should be public records under the Freedom of Information Act. And in a pretty nail-biting back and forth, I think, Montana Department of Justice weighed in, saying that the documents had to be withheld under the confidential criminal justice information statutes on the books. But ACLU countered that those statutes only apply to ongoing or past criminal investigations, and the state is essentially using them as they prepare for for those protests that they think will happen in the future. It's important to highlight that the people who are threatened by the withholding of these documents are largely indigenous people who are protesting for their rights of sovereignty and land. And these are the folks that have been on the front line of these pipeline protests since the days of Dakota Access. The lawsuit is actively pending, and we'll be watching to see how this plays out. 
Rachel, do you want to know some of the specific documents that the ACLU requested? Let's hear about some of those documents. Okay, so this is the language quoted from the complaint. And I think it's really a cool use of FOIA, that Freedom of Information Act. Specifically, ACLU requested all records and public information generated by MTDES regarding, and then they have a list of things that they keyed into that they think are specifically geared toward Montana preparing for these protests. So number one, meetings involving state law enforcement and public agency officials to develop a plan for response should protesters show up in large numbers anywhere along the Keystone route in Montana once construction begins. This is information that indicates that the Montana DES is planning for a response to the Keystone XL similar to what happened with the Dakota Access Pipeline. Yeah, and I think probably everyone on all sides are trying to take lessons from the DAPL situation. Other documents they were looking for are related to the law enforcement, quote, work group related to Keystone XL protests. And then two others related to trainings for local law enforcement agencies on how to use social media sites like Facebook to their advantage and monitoring of social media posts by anti-Keystone activists so law enforcement can gather information about when and where pipeline protests might be staged and how many people may initially be involved. So interesting connection with the Black Lives Matter protests CHOP and CHAZ, which was the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle, Washington. Law enforcement agencies were also using social media to monitor those protests. So this is across multiple movement building platforms. It seems to be something that's becoming more normal in justice movements, that social media is sort of becoming a hot potato between organizers and law enforcement. And then there were 10 other categories that the ACLU was looking for documents from that got even more specific. And there was actually a response from the first judicial district court in Helena, Montana, that the Montana DES and DCI, they requested to dismiss this case. And the district court judge, Kathy Seeley, actually denied that motion to dismiss. So it will be moving forward in the courts. Mm -hmm. And that shows that the courts see this as a legitimate claim by the ACLU. And so, you know, I think this is a pretty big deal. The context here is that this year, three states, so it was Kentucky, South Dakota, and West Virginia, have enacted laws that both elevate oil and gas assets to critical infrastructure status, and they impose harsher penalties for protesters involved in anti-oil and gas actions. So from the protesters' standpoint, these fights are really about free speech and the right to free assembly, but government seems to be trying to make the point that the rules are different for oil and gas. Which gets back to the issue of consent in the fossil fuel industry. How can anyone withhold their consent for a project like the Keystone XL in a meaningful way, particularly if our rights to free speech and to free assembly aren't being respected? Yeah, I mean, the big no is not being heard. And so what recourse do people have beyond protesting? I mean, it really seems like we're kind of locked into that situation. Yeah. When things are going well for people in charge, there isn't as much of a reason to change. But limiting the speech and the ability for communities to consensually decide, yes, this is something I want in my community, is limiting our ability to see clearly how it impacts those people and how it impacts our society as a whole. Yeah, which kind of helps to obfuscate the whole issue and allow it to be framed in more simplistic terms of 
well, this is jobs versus the environment. Well, no, it's not really, actually. There's, there's a lot more to it. There are so many possibilities for the future. We don't need to be locked into an oil and gas-based economy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what else yeah, to say. Yeah, and really, it's really hopeful. I mean, it's really hopeful to, to think about it in those terms. Speaking of free speech, you found a really cool article that is looking for people to add their voice to the the conversation. So can you walk us through that? Definitely. This article is really important. If you have opinions about the fossil fuel industry, if you have opinions about environmental policy in Montana State, this article is called DEQ Seeks Public Comment on KXL Water Cert, Remote Public Hearing in November, in a tiny little postscript underneath that. That means that there is a public hearing on this issue in Montana. It's actually on November 16th, 2020 at 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And this article is really important because it's time sensitive. It speaks to the Montana Department of Environmental Quality's recent tentative decision to issue a water quality certification for the KXL pipeline in eastern Montana. That's under Section 401 of the Clean Water Act. That means that they are saying that this project does not violate water quality standards that 0.06 acres of wetlands and 0.04 acres of water bodies will be affected. And they're issuing the permit. They're saying, KXL, you are free to build. Yeah, and so, you know, the plan is to cross 201 wetland and water body features in the state of Montana. And it kind of boggles my mind to think that of those 201 crossings, the pipeline will only permanently impact one-tenth of an acre. I wonder if there's a disconnect there between the individual crossings and the blanket permit that is being sought here. Yeah. Any time that I've looked into the laws and permits that regulate our national bodies of water, I've found a lot of inconsistencies like that, Joe. In the Nationwide Permit 12, they talk about utility lines and how the permit authorizes discharges of dredge or fill in waters that's temporary, but that those things need to be moved or restored back to their original state within three months with a 180-day extension. So when I read this project doesn't violate water quality standards because of that one-tenth of water bodies affected, I read permanent impact compared to the temporary impact of putting the pipeline in in the first place. It makes me think, though, about how we define impacts, right? It may be that only one-tenth of an acre is permanently impacted visibly, right? But they're still putting a 36-inch pipeline, drilling it underneath these rivers and water crossings, and that's there. There very much is an impact to the land. It's just we may not be able to see it, right? And it also represents, centrally, it represents the threat of spill. True. True. The larger impacts of the pipeline as a whole. And it makes me wonder as well, actually, if there are similar measures for community impact. It's easy to say in total, if you calculate 
all of the little areas that the pipeline will actually occupy, it will equal X number of acreage because that's a finite number. But how do you do that with respect to the impact on a community? Yeah. Right, which becomes much harder to quantify or even impossible to quantify, but very possible to observe after the fact. So if you are a member of the Montana community or specifically a community involved in this pipeline's construction and you have opinions or just want to learn more, please, please attend this remote public hearing on November 16th. They're providing the public with information on the proposed issuance And then they're going to give you a chance to respond. Yeah, so you can think of this as a public hearing that you might go to in a gymnasium pre-pandemic where they have a microphone set up for public comment. This is your chance to speak your perspective and put your voice on the record. The registration details are right there in the article. I went ahead and registered for the meeting right away, so I'm going to be there. How about you? Are you going to be there, Rachel? I will certainly be there, Joe. So if you want to hear me and Joe in person in real life, you may want to tune into this meeting for that reason, too. I don't know if I'll be making a public (laughs) comment either. (laughs) Uh, Ooh, let's see. So Another quick note about this article is that the Montana Department of Environmental Quality issuance is separate from the Army Corps of Engineers review under the Clean Water Act. That review has already held their public hearing on September 28th, but that's another reason to really stay on top of it and to get involved when you know that these events are happening. There are some other links to different articles that are related to this one in the description of this episode so please feel free to continue perusing other articles by the glasgow courier and there there was a public notice issued by the u.s army corps of engineers that is linked to cool yeah thanks for bringing that to our attention rachel i think that's timely and very important so i hope that some of our listeners do attend that meeting and provide their own public comments yeah and with that i think we've pretty much reached the end of our oil and water relay Yeah, so we'll post all of the links to the articles we talked about in the episode description. We encourage you to write in your thoughts and comments. In particular, we want to hear what you think. How is your relationship with the fossil fuel industry changing as you learn more? Oil and Water is an independent project of The Systems Zoo, an educational collaborative making high-quality media for critical thinkers. Oil and Water Relay is produced by me, Joe LaVisca, and Rachel Dunkeld. That's me. And music is by Alexi DeMarais. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Oil and Water Pod and our website at oilandwaterpod.com. Support, as always, comes from our listeners like, like you. you.